Well, the question we're asking in this series is what do you do while you wait? What do you do while you wait on God? What do you do while you wait on God to finish what He has started, to continue to work in the world, to continue to work in my life, to continue to work in your life, your marriage, your family? What do we do while we're waiting on God? What do we do while we're waiting for maybe the pain and the suffering in our lives to stop? What do we do while we're waiting for that someday time? How do we live in the here and the now until that? How do we live in the here and the now until a time where maybe pain and suffering is not going to stop until we are dead or until Jesus returns? What do we do then? How do we wait? How do we join with God's kingdom in the here and now so that we wait in a godly way? What do we do if we're waiting for uh, maybe you've been a believer for a long time and uh, you struggle with joy in Christ? What, what do we do while we're waiting for God to work as we seek after that joy in Christ that may elude us? What do we do in the meantime while we're waiting for that joy to return in relationship with Christ? What we're going to say today, among a couple other things, is what you do is you show up for work. That's something that we're going to talk about this week and next week and the week after that. And the ways that we show up for work are seeking, working, and worship. And today we're going to talk about seeking. To show up for work in the here and now kingdom of God is to seek after that kingdom, is to seek after Christ and His work, is to seek after the ways that God is working in the world, in your life, in the lives of others. That's what it means to be a, a, a believer who seeks after Jesus Christ. Because listen, I get it. There are lots of things in, in the world where we see things and we think that's not Jesus. We see things in our own lives and the lives of other people especially and we go, uh, that's not the kingdom of God. <laughs> like I know that that's the, the world we live in. The here and now kingdom that still struggles to, uh, to bring us along in this world that's broken and we encounter sin. Last week we talked about Anna and Simeon and their examples of people who were in the game, who were showing up for work in the here and now kingdom. They were an example of an attentive waiter. We talked last week about the difference between an inattentive waiter and an attentive waiter. Uh, somebody who is an attentive waiter is a godly waiter, actively involved in the kingdom, not just sitting around going, hey, God, work. An inattentive waiter... An inattentive waiter is somebody who, like, I just sort of pause there for a second, goes, okay, Jesus, do your thing, because, like, I'm not going to be a part of this, so just go ahead. <laughs> An inattentive waiter uh, we might describe with words like lazy, <laughs> words like uh, consumer, not contributor, loafer, Not really showing up for work, just kind of hitting the snooze button in their Christian walk from day to day, going, you got it, go ahead, Jesus. Let me cool over here, because I'm an inattentive waiter. An inattentive waiter is the kind of person who, from afar, because they haven't shown up for work, from afar gets to throw snipes and grenades at those who are attentive waiters at those who are involved in the kingdom. People who are inattentive waiters just sit from afar and go. I don't like how that's working. She always does this. 
I don't like this about him. Inattentive waiters sit around and they watch attentive waiters play the game. These are men and women of God who have shown up for work in the here and now kingdom. And aren't sitting there going, maybe someday when Jesus comes back or there's something that happens in that person's life or something like spectacular happens in my life, then I'm going to show up for work in the here and now kingdom. Then I will, I promise Jesus, someday when I this or when I that or attentive waiters are involved in the kingdom, in the here and now kingdom that has arrived because of Jesus and his first arrival. Inattentive waiters sit there from afar and just throw grenades, throw criticism, throw insults at those who are actually in the game. These people aren't even on the bench. They're sitting out in the stands. They're not even actually at the game at all. These are people who are bums. These are people who are consumers and not contributors. These are people who are just going to sit here and go, protecting myself. You go right ahead. Attentive waiters, attentive waiters are looking. This is what an attentive waiter does. They're looking for ways to help. You know, you're sitting at a restaurant and that, that attentive waiter who you love comes and you're not even halfway done with your drink filled before you even ask. They're attentive. They're thinking. They're seeking. They, they look at a table over there and they go, that person's done and whoop, table's clean. Attentive waiter looking and seeking for places to be involved in the kingdom. Huge difference between these two categories of people, inattentive waiters and attentive waiters. A huge difference. And one way of characterizing the difference would be that there are two kingdoms involved here. An inattentive waiter is all about kingdom of self, all about kingdom of me. You got this? Go ahead. I'm going to sit back. And not only am I going to not be involved, I'm going to throw little snipes out there. Little snarky stuff and grenades from afar. Meanwhile, these people over here are trying to do something for the kingdom because God's called them to it. Being active, being involved, looking for the kingdom, joining with what God's doing. And they're sitting here going, will you please stop? Here's the thing. This kingdom over here isn't necessarily outside of these four walls. This kingdom over here of self, of me, this is where it is right here. Kingdom of self, inattentive waiter, kingdom of God, attentive waiters who are looking for where God's working in the world and joining with it. Attentive to be involved in a way that meaningfully participates in the work of God in the world. The here and now kingdom, they've shown up for work. In the here and now kingdom of God. They've shown up for work. Huge difference between the two. And here's what we're going to see in this passage today. And it's characteristic of both of these kingdoms, both of these people, kingdom of self, kingdom of me, inattentive, kingdom of God, attentive. It's characteristic of both of them. We see what we seek. We see what we seek. Let me tell you what I mean. I talked about the restaurant thing a little bit earlier. You ever been to a restaurant? I'm sure you have. 
You ever been to a restaurant with somebody who is always miserable and it doesn't matter what the circumstances at the restaurant? Always miserable. The soup is always too hot or too cold. Uh, there's always a piece of silverware or a plate that's got some, you know, schmeggy stuff on it that has to be sent back. Always, always. There's always something on the, the rim of the glass that needs to be, or, or some sort of little speck of something in the water. There's always something wrong with the meat. It's all too done or not done well enough. Always something wrong. They're always miserable. <laughs> because they're seeing what they seek. They're seeing what they seek. Meanwhile, meanwhile, all the other people at the restaurant there at the table are content, doing okay, just fine. <laughs> not being miserable. Right here, not being miserable. Because I'm going to see something that I'm seeking. Let me explain it a little more. Uh, found out some cool stuff about, uh, about birds of prey. This week, as I was thinking about this see what you seek thing, uh, ornithologists have found, well, first, ornithologists are uh, bird scientists. Let's make sure we cover that. Ornithologists, bird scientists, have uh, found that birds of prey, birds of prey have a, a keenness, acuity, an accuracy of, of eyesight, of vision, up to eight times better than humans have. This is obviously because they're uh, up high, looking down. Uh, God gave them uh, this, this amazing vision so that they could see their bird, that their prey, and so that they could swoop down and uh, take care of business. Now, it is said about some vultures, it is said about some vultures, that when they're up there looking for, uh, for something that's usually dead, so that they can scavenge off of somebody else's work, uh, maybe they're inattentive waiters. Anyway, um, as they're up high overhead looking down, it is said that they basically don't even see the beautiful flowers, the green grass, the nice uh, brook, the, the streams that go through other animals uh, that they don't worry about. They basically, even from way out there, see only dead rabbit laying in a bush. They see what they're seeking. They see what they're seeking. Today we're going to look at models of inattentive waiters and attentive waiters. Kingdom of self, kingdom of God. And, and the differences between what they see are what they seek. We'll look at this in the lives of Herod and the Magi here. Go ahead and turn with me to Matthew, the second chapter. Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. Notice throughout here that seeing and seeking are related here. Jump in at verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, press pause, two little phrases here in that first verse. First phrase, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, second phrase, in the days of Herod the king. Not, not a whole lot of information given to us in a sense here, but, but let's unpack what they mean here. Because we already see in this first verse these two kingdoms contrasted. Look at verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Matthew wrote this gospel, the gospel of Matthew, to a Jewish audience to prove that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. And so the Jews all know that the Messiah would be an heir in the line of King David. And they also knew that he would come from Bethlehem. Now look back a page to uh, Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. 
where Matt sort of introduces this book. He says this, the first verse, he tells us this and gives us a clue. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So, so he goes on in the rest of that chapter 1 to show that Jesus' lineage and birth uh, verifies Jesus as a possible heir to the throne. And so jump back to our passage here. It says he was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Bethlehem of Judea. He's making sure that his readers understand not only is he a possible heir in the line of David. I mean, he's a legit possible heir to be the Messiah. He's from the same city as David was born in. That's why you call Bethlehem the city of David. So just in that first verse here, we see these two, con, uh, these two kingdoms beginning to be contrasted. Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Next phrase, in the days of Herod the king. In the days of Herod the king. Now he's reminding us here of that other kingdom, the inattentive way to the kingdom of self, the kingdom of the evil one, really. And Herod is who's going to... Uh, to be the character that, that is on that side of things here. It says this, He was born in the days of Herod the king. Now listen, power-hungry kings are not known for like kindly sharing their authority with other people. Uh, power-hungry kings will do anything and everything that is needed to keep and maintain the control of their, their power of, <clears throat> hello, their kingdom. So, so what Herod does uh, right and left is he offs whoever it is that's in his way. He was known to get rid of his own wives, his own sons. Uh, at one point with the Sanhedrin, who was the Jewish ruling council, there were 70 of them. He got rid of 45 of them just because he didn't like the direction they were headed. They weren't supporting him enough. Early on in his career, he was known for uh, basically obliterating an entire town uh, in the Galilean region there. History tells us that he was one of the most ruthless, uh, one of the most ruthless uh, dictators, really, but one of the most ruthless kings who brutally crushed anybody who got in the way of his power. Caesar Augustus, who was even uh, higher than King Herod, he was, he was the Caesar, he was the emperor. Caesar Augustus said, it's better to be Herod's swine than it is his son. Because whatever he needed to do, he would take care of business. So this is the setup right here in the very first verse. In the very first verse, we see this contrast between these kingdoms here. And he's introducing this to say the story that's going to happen here, the story that's going to be playing out here, is a story of this power struggle with good and evil. This, this struggle that's going on. Now, of course, we know that good has already won, that good is going to win, because God always shows up, He always has, He always will, and so can we. So we know that victory is in the hands of Jesus here. And the good always wins. But, but it's interesting to see how it plays out here because it's instructive for us because we see what we seek. And so let's continue to go on here and, and, and notice the differences between what the Magi see and what Herod sees going on here. So keep reading here in uh, verse 1. Verse 1, the setup of what's going on after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. In the days of Herod the king, it says this, Behold, that means, uh, the, the Greek there means check it out. Uh, behold, uh, it's, it's sort of a don't miss this. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So here's the third main character, these wise men who come from the east uh, that come to Jerusalem. So we have our three main characters introduced in the very first verse there. And they come saying, verse 2, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, you may know, in fact, I 
Did we just sing this about we three kings? Yeah, we pretty much know that they weren't kings. We don't know a whole lot about them. They were probably pagan astrologers in basic terms. They came from a foreign land. Uh, There were three of them. They came with uh, gifts and they came seeking Jesus. What we don't know is that they were anything more than just pagan astrologers. They studied the stars. They had some sort of new agey religious uh, faith going on. Uh, They were interestingly probably monotheists from Zoroastrianism, if you want to study that some later on. But that's conjecture. We don't really know. Basically, we know they were non-Jew astrologers. They studied the stars as sort of their uh, faith. So this is, what, this is what happens here. They come to Jerusalem. And they probably came to Jerusalem because they first saw the star over Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? What we do know is they came seeking Jesus. That's what we know, and that's why Matthew points it out. They came seeking Jesus. So what they see in the account follows from seeking Jesus. We saw his star when it rose. Some of your versions may say in the east, same word, and have come to worship him there at the end of verse 2. At this point, we don't know a whole lot about their worship. They were probably well-known men in their countries, uh, respected wise men. Uh, magi is just another word for wise men. And uh, th- they, they probably were coming to pay respect and honor to this uh, important person being born. And, and I say important person because there was a, a tradition. It sounds crazy for us to say these guys saw a star and they thought, hey, somebody's being born. There was a tradition uh, that would have been something that they might have held to that when a new star appears in the sky, it was an indication that an important person was being born in the land over which that star, that new star shone. So it was an entirely natural thing for them to think if they came from that kind of a background as pagan astrologers. So they say, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. That word troubled is a little soft there, uh, probably like, really worked up in a way that means he's going to off some people. Let's just say it that way. He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And Jerusalem would be troubled whether or not they know the Magi there, whether or not they know some star shown and they think that it's uh, some important person. Whatever they, they, they don't know, they do know that Herod is agitated. And if Herod's in, uh, in a state like that, everybody watch out, hide the kids, hide, okay. So that you can be safe, and I uh, figured I'd throw that in for the, for the kiddos. Um, hide everybody, get them secure, leave the country because Herod's going to uh, off some people there. So everybody was worried about what's going to happen here. So Herod the king heard this. He was troubled. All Jerusalem with him, verse 4. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, these are the Jewish uh, rulers, who also, uh, some of them, probably appointed by Herod, would be his advisors. They weren't all uh, good guys, probably. They were probably, some of them, appointed by him. So the chief priests and scribes of the people, these were Jewish rulers, rulers, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so they told him, verse 5, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. Verse 6, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least 
among the rulers of Judah. <clears throat> now this is uh, a, an interesting thing here that's going on in verse 6. Uh, I want you to look at that for just a second there, especially the first part there in verse 6. It says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. He's quoting Micah 5.2, or at least kind of quoting Micah 5.2. He adds three words that aren't in Micah 5.2. And uh, by the way, his version of Micah 5.2 in Matthew won't necessarily uh, match your Old Testament English version because he's probably translating from the actual Hebrew in the first place. Anyway, he adds three words by no means for this reason. Bethlehem was this tiny little place and it was about six miles south of Jerusalem. Not very many people in it at all. Just a small, tiny little village. And Micah 5.2 says, You, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are least among the rulers of Judah. And he has these three words, by no means. Which, on the face of it, we, we look at that and we think, hey, there's something wrong with the text here. Something's wrong with the transmission of the text or some sort of scribal error, uh, something like that. What probably was actually happening is Matthew was following a tradition of occasionally adding little commentary within the text of Scripture there because any Jew reading that would know, oh, that's Micah 5 too, and I know exactly what it says. And he put the words by no means in there, which is a way of saying, uh, Bethlehem, Bethlehem, You're not least. You're one of the greatest. The Messiah is going to come from you. You are by no means this tiny little unimportant city. You are one of the most important in all of Judea. For from you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Keep reading verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. When Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained, maybe instead of ascertained, you could put threatened them within an inch of their lives, uh, perhaps also bribed them with whatever they wanted, because Herod is not messing around. He didn't just go to them probably and say, Hey guys, (laughs) he probably did a lot more than that. So he summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. So he sent them to Bethlehem, verse 8, telling them, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, you see what you seek, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. (laughs) Herod sees an opportunity to maintain his control, to maintain his power. The wise men, pagan astrologers even, see an opportunity to learn about this king of the Jews that they've been told about and this star that appears. Now their faith in a star might have been misplaced initially, but keep reading here. Verse 9. After listening to the king, and I think they're still listening to Herod, meaning uh, they actually believed that he wanted to worship, and so Herod was deceiving them. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And, here's that word again, behold, check it out, don't miss this. At this point in the story, Herod's deceit has worked its, its magic. It's worked what, it wanted to, what he wanted it to do, which is the wise men believed him. Matthew uses this word listening on purpose. He wasn't just saying they heard his voice. He's saying they listened to his deceit and his lie. Listen, 
Bethlehem is six miles south of Jerusalem. Herod trusted in his own life. If he wanted to, he could have sent people right there, right then and there to take care of him. But he doesn't because he trusts in his own kingdom of deceit and of lie. And so at this point in the story, in verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way. We have a real problem because it looks like, it looks like Herod's going to succeed. Keep reading. Behold, meaning the intervention of God happens here because it's the kind of thing that's going to have to take the intervention of God. It says the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. God takes them to Bethlehem. When they saw the star, verse 10, they, ex- they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So they get there. <laughs> so they get there. These pagan astrologers, non-Jews, hardly know a whole lot about what's going on. They get there. God has led them there. They don't even know that God's leading them there. But they're seeking after something, and God's leading them that way. And so they're seeing what they're seeking. They get there. They see this baby Jesus. And we don't know if they worship in a way like we worship. They may not have even known that he was fully God like we realize when we worship and bow down to him. But but, but Matthew, as opposed to what happens earlier in the text where he just uses the word worship, says they fell down and worshipped him. They fell down and worshipped him. These pagan, non-Jewish astrologers, which is, which is a picture of what's going on here. Which is a picture of what's going on here. In fact, there are a couple uh, important passages we're going to put on screen here for you to look up if you want to later. This, this makes the point here that Matthew is making with this scene that he's connecting Old Testament prophecy to what's going on here. He's connecting these Old Testament predictions of the coming of the Messiah with what's going on here. You can look those up later in Psalm 72 and Isaiah 60 there. Because what happens here in verse uh, 11 is happening there in those two passages. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And put those passages together with this passage and these pagan non-Jew astrologers uh, bowing down to Jesus. It's a picture of Jesus coming to demonstrate love and salvation for all peoples, not just the Jews. Not just the Jews. This is a way of saying, this is a way of saying the time of salvation for all people. Last week, Simeon said he was a light of salvation for all peoples. So that's a picture of what's going on here in uh, verse 11 that Matthew picks up on and says, ah, this is an example of what happens in the new kingdom when Christ comes. So here's where we are in the story. <coughs> Herod has deceitfully tried to make his way happen because he's seeking after his own power and control and glory. And everything he sees because he's seeking that are people just just antagonizing him. They're just after my power. He has no idea. He has no idea that this little baby has all power. And these magi 
have little idea about what's going on except that they've been told these things, led here by God. They're seeking after something. And what they find is worship of God. And so, at this point in the story, this point in the story, something has happened to these magi that's, that's, that's changed them. And Matthew points that out here. They're seeking the kingdom of God. We don't know for sure if they've done it. The worshiping and bowing down may still be sort of like just giving respect to him. But, it's, but it may also be something else, Matthew is saying. And, and we know that they're seeking God because, verse 12, they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod. God is leading them. They're seeing, they're hearing from God because they're seeking after him. Being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. They came one way and they left another way. That's what happens when you come and you worship Christ. Now listen, friends. We see what we seek. We see what we seek. Maybe you're Mr. Grumpy Pants at a restaurant every time you get there. And all you see is negativity. All you see is what's wrong with her or what he's doing. I want to implore you. God is actively working in the world in ways that if you seek, you will see. Maybe you're a vulture from up high seeing nothing but something that will support you and and be a part of your kingdom. (laughs) Listen. If you seek the kingdom where God is working, where He is active, where you can be involved, where you can show up for work in the here and now kingdom, I promise you, everything you need will be taken care of. God promises it. Maybe you're... Maybe you're the opposite of that. Maybe you're a, a head-in-the-clouds Pollyanna who doesn't see reality and everything is always rosy in a way that doesn't account for a world where sin happens and there are problems in your own life and in the lives of other people. There may be different ways that this applies to us. Maybe some of you need the conviction of the Spirit the conviction of the Spirit, because you see nothing but everything is rosy and I don't need to get involved in the here and now kingdom because everything is great, right? <laughs> that can be its own defense against participating in the kingdom of God. We see what we seek. If we are seeking after the opportunity to do what God's called us to do, what we will see are opportunities to do them. What we will see is a God who wants to use you for the amazing task of bringing Himself glory in a way that the world will someday see. And you will say, I participated in that You have the option. You always, always have the option of sitting here in the inattentive waiter place, standing back with your hands up going, 
not going to be a part of this. Which is a recipe for missing out on some joy of seeing God use you, of seeing God work in your relationships and in your marriage and in your family. You have that option. You also have the option of being an attentive waiter, of working in the places where God is working, seeking His kingdom so you know where those places are. so that you can be a part of this team of people, this body of believers that God has put together, He has assembled, so that we can together be the body in a way that fruitfully makes God's kingdom known, His His presence and His glory made known in the lives of people. That's the best thing you could possibly be involved in ever, ever. And that's the option. Herod, Magi, inattentive, attentive. Kingdom of self, kingdom of God. Passively sitting around, hitting the snooze button all day. Showing up for work. Get your, get your clothes out early. Make sure you've got breakfast. Get enough sleep. Those are the options. Let's pray.